Uh, today we're coming to the topic of righteousness, but let's begin with prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, your care for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Shepherd and our King. Um, we, he is our, our teacher. We are his disciples. And so we pray that you would bless this time of instruction, that we might learn your perfect ways, uh, that we might pursue after that which is good, uh, that we might have these things fixed in our minds and so practiced in our words, in our behavior, that we might be an honor to you, our God and our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we look at the topic of righteousness. Uh, We've looked at uh, faith and hope and love and piety. And last week, we looked at wisdom, um, all of these being virtues, uh, excellencies, uh, virtues which ought to be not just things we do, but habits, uh, habits that we practice that characterize us, that ought to become ingrained in us and internalized so that not only do we do wise things and loving things, but that we become wise people, loving people, um, that these uh, become added to us and to become yours and, and increasing, uh, as Peter describes in Second Peter. Today we come to righteousness, and we could also call it justice, and we'll kind of talk about both words as they overlap a lot, and in Greek it's one word, um, but righteousness is how it's usually translated in our English Bibles, and uh, is the more commonly used word, so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and primarily use it. But let me I'll go ahead and begin with Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Uh, a brief verse there it has a context, of course, talking about the debates about certain foods among the church at Rome and exhorting them to, uh, to, to love for one another and bearing with one another. But he makes a comment about the kingdom of God there. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, God rules... Um, in our hearts. Uh, This kingdom is manifested as the Holy Spirit produces virtue within, as he produces righteousness and peace and joy, uh, that as these things flourish in you and among you then, because again, he's talking about the church, uh, how we ought to be interacting, uh, that we can see the kingdom of God which is an invisible reality, but it has visible expressions as we see uh, this righteousness flow out from uh, his grace at work in our hearts. Uh, righteousness is something that we ought to, <clears throat> to embrace, to practice, to internalize, that we become those who are righteous people and not the wicked um, and ought to characterize us for uh, we serve the righteous God, the righteous Father, righteous uh, son. Now, I mentioned er, already, in Greek, there's one word, dekaiosune, which could be translated righteousness, or justice, or uprightness. 
with a lot of words, we have one Latin-based, one Anglo-Saxon-based words. Justice is going to be more from Latin. Um, so you have justice and just and justification and things like that. And then righteousness being more from the Anglo-Saxon. Righteousness, righteous, to declare righteous, to, to do something that is righteous. Um, in Hebrew, there, there is two words. Uh, tzedakah, which is... Uh, used for righteousness. I don't think I pronounced that right, but there's a word for righteousness, and then mishpat for judgment or justice, depending on your translation. Uh, and often, those two words are grouped together, because they are overlapping synonymous terms. For example, when God speaks of Abraham in Genesis 18, and he speaks of why he has chosen him, that he's chosen him, that he might command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So, summarizing, what is it to keep the way of the Lord? To, to do righteousness and justice. Jesus spoke of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, brought it up several times. Can you think of any place where he referred to righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 through 7. Yes. What's that? Can you hear what he's saying? Oh, one of the Beatitudes, to hunger and thirst for it. Yes, yes, that's right. He speaks of blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And that's, yeah, that's the first reference in the Sermon on the Mount to righteousness. And again, those Beatitudes are not like multiple choice. You get to pick one. You know, which one is going to, to describe me? They're, they're describing Christ's disciples and, and their blessedness. Uh, Christ's disciples ought to be those and are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then he goes on to talk about the law, the law and the prophets, he didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, the person who, who uh, d- you know, doesn't pay attention to even the least commandment, doesn't teach people, uh, to, or teach people not to obey it, shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about what should we, what should we do, uh, that there's continuity with the Old Testament. But then he says that uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, were the scribes and Pharisees righteous? No. At first that sounds like a really high standard, and it probably did to the people that Jesus was teaching. But then in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he contrasts the way of the hypocrites, their righteousness, the way they practice righteousness, and the righteousness that should befit his disciples, uh, that should exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was just for show, was just on the outside, had kind of corrupted God's word, was just done for the praise of man. It did not uh, originate in the heart. But the righteousness that belongs to Christ's disciples uh, includes your, your thoughts, your, your words, um, the way you love your enemy, uh, the, the way that you treat your neighbor, that you do not hate him in your heart, or call him fool or raka, that 
you should not, he says, practice your righteousness to be seen by others. Things like prayer and alms and fasting. Don't just do it for show. Certainly, you can do it publicly. You should do some of those things publicly, but also do them privately because it's not just for show. It is for your Father who is in heaven. And then at the, not quite the end, but at the end of chapter 6, you're not supposed to be, you know, loving money or worried about money. What should we wear? What should we put on? What should you be seeking? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, and, and so he calls us to, to pursue righteousness, um, to learn to observe all his commandments. Not that that's the basis of our salvation. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it is something that, as Christ's disciples, we ought to be learning, uh, that we ought to be pursuing. Now, this is very similar to what Paul told Timothy that Paul told Timothy to pursue righteousness along with all these other virtues. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then if that wasn't enough, in 2 Timothy, he says to him in chapter 2, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, Pursue after these virtues, and one of those is righteousness. Pursue after righteousness. Obviously, he's not talking about justification in this context, because once you're justified, you're justified. You don't have to keep seeking it. Uh, You rest and receive and rest upon Christ for that righteousness that is declared. But beyond that, there is a pursuit, a growth in practicing righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that we were created righteous and that Christ is renewing us to this perfect image. He says, and and we're taught in him to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this new self that you've put on in Christ Leaving, beside, uh, leaving that old self to the past, put on a new self, the new man in Christ, and that image is being renewed. Not only as Colossians says in knowledge, we talked about wisdom last week, right? But also in righteousness and holiness, uh, that we might uh, be set apart, consecrated unto God. That's the idea of holiness and devoted to him, uh, kind of similar to what we said about piety but also righteousness, that we might do what is right. Now, uh, I've mentioned justification. Justification, again, slipping back into that uh, Latin-based term, if we wanted to explain it, though, we'd say it means to declare righteous, uh, to justify someone is to to declare them righteous. That can happen in a normal uh, human situation where maybe you're getting accused of doing something wrongfully, but then the evidence shows that you actually were innocent, and so we'll say you are righteous, in fact. Um, you have that, that status now, that we have vindicated you, that you are not guilty, you are innocent. That's uh, how we might justify someone. But God justifies the ungodly. God justifies by his grace those who, who have sinned and who have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And the only reason that he uh, does so, the only basis, is not things you have done, but Christ's righteousness imputed to you. We talked about that a little bit in discussing faith, because we are justified by faith alone. That's how we receive it. But the basis is what Christ did, that he was righteous, he lived a righteous life, our sins were imputed to him, and he annihilated them through judgment by suffering for them, and then rose vindicated that he was righteous, that he was innocent, that there was nothing else to stick to him, um, that he was raised from the dead, and that righteousness is imputed to his people, that we are raised to new life with him. And so we're declared righteous before God the judge on account of Christ's righteousness imputed to us, received by faith alone. But that's not the end of the story. In what we call sanctification, God delivers us from the power of sin so that we who are slaves of sin have become willing slaves of righteousness. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans. In chapters 3 through 5, he talks about being declared righteous uh, in Christ. But then in chapter 6, he speaks of how we've become willing slaves of righteousness, that we who have, who have died to sin, who have been freed from sin, now uh, are no longer tyrannized by sin, raised with Christ, so that we should even present our members, our, our bodies, uh, as instruments for righteousness. They were instruments of sin, It's not that only the body was sinful, but you used your body to do sinful things. That body and soul, you served sin because you loved sin. But now, let sin not have any more dominion over you, for you're not under the condemnation of the law. You're under grace. Um, You've been delivered by Christ, and so you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching you've received, and now willing slaves of righteousness to to do righteousness, to present your members as instruments for righteousness. And so one of the graces that is infused into us from Christ is the virtue of righteousness. Although this virtue within us, it's imperfect. It's growing. We don't only do righteous things. So it's not the basis for our justification, uh, even though it exists, but it is Uh, something that is present and growing in Christ's disciples. Any questions thus far on on righteousness? Yes? I'm still surprised from your opening remarks about justice and righteousness being the same for each word, which I never realized. Sure, sure. When I go to places like Romans or So, well, and, and there it's complicated by the fact that it's from the Old Testament. You'd have to look at which, which of the Hebrew words does it use in that case. But, um, but as far as the, the, the Greek, the, it's, the word being used as righteousness is also the word that can be translated justice. Yes. In the Old Testament, didn't you say they were synonymous? 
yeah, basically synonymous, but probably different shades of meaning. That that um, right, that justice could could often more refer to a judgment. In fact, sometimes the King James will translate the two words justice and judgment, and then other translations will translate them righteousness and justice. So there is there is two words for it, although they're broad, much overlapping. But there are two different words in the Old Testament uh, for for the two things. Um, I would have to look back to see which one is used in Genesis when it says in his faith was counted unto him as righteousness. But, you know, in, in Romans, it's, it's speaking of God's judgment and that it's declared as, as righteousness so that he's declared righteous and not, not guilty, not condemned um, in that sense. Um, Another complication is that the English words have also um, sometimes have different understandings to people because justice, today most people think of it in terms of of what the government does or something like that, you know, judging cases where historically it's also been viewed as a virtue, you know, that uh, justice is something that you practice and we would admit that meaning of the word but it doesn't jump to people's minds right away as well. But I don't know if any of that helps with your question, but but another way to put it is that, that Abraham was declared just. It would probably be a better way to translate it than, than justice in that situation. Any other questions so far? So the main point is that there is a justification that is by grace, that you're declared righteous and so therefore not condemned. Um, but there is also, through union with Christ, a virtue of righteousness that we have given to us by grace that is to be practiced, that is to mark our way of life and that we ought to grow in, that's uh, we ourselves practice righteousness even as our God is righteous, and that's part of the image that's being renewed in us. Um, in Titus 2.12, we are told that the grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Um, upright there is the adverb that's righteously or justly, um, dikaios. dikaios. Um, so we are to live righteous lives. Uh, What does it mean to live righteously? Uh, What does righteousness mean? Um, Anyone want to take a stab at it, talking all of this, righteousness, justice? It's almost self-explanatory. Of course we know what righteousness is, right? Doing right, right. Right. So we could, we could just explain it in terms of obeying the moral law of God and fulfilling your obligations to others. Um, that righteousness is sometimes been described as giving everyone his due, um, but of course God is the one to whom we have our primary obligation and we have his law that he's given us to obey. Uh, so righteousness is doing what he has commanded us, just as sin is breaking his law, and um, when you look at what his law tells us, we have obligations to God to worship him alone, to not serve idols, to observe his day, to not blaspheme his name, 
that we also have obligations to other people, to give honor to whom honor is due, to not kill but to preserve life, to not steal but to preserve and further property, and uh, to not commit adultery but to be pure and chaste, and to guard the good name of our neighbor and to not uh, defame them or be dishonest and to not covet our neighbor's stuff. So we have obligations that we bear and we ought to fulfill. We ought to fulfill them. The the language of ought and uh, duty and deserve and rights and fair, it's a very natural principle. You can be very young and have a sense that that's not fair or I deserve this or you ought to have done it this way. Uh, We use language of righteousness. Um, People who do not believe in God will still assume that there's an obligation upon people that they ought to do things in a certain way. In fact, this is kind of one witness to the fact that there is a supreme lawgiver and judge uh, to whom we are accountable to uh, that has established the world in such a way that there are obligations that tie us to each other, but also to God. We're responsible beings created with an obligation to our maker. Uh, And so we have the Ten Commandments, for example, as a summary of that moral law, a definition, a standard of righteousness. Uh, Righteousness involves not harming your neighbor, but it's more than that. What did Jesus give us is what's been called the the golden rule with respect to our neighbor. Yes, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So not just don't do what you wouldn't want them to not do to you, but it's positive, too, that we ought to love our neighbor as ourself. And so don't do unjust harm and do positive good. Uh, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 3 as a passage that speaks of this, although it doesn't use the word, I don't think it uses the word Right? Oh, maybe it does use righteousness near the end of it. Yes. But it describes this uh, concept very well. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So don't withhold what is due your neighbor when you have it. Uh, A righteous person, a a just person, uh, will... uh, consistently will to uh, fulfill his obligations to his neighbor, to, to give them the good that is due them. Likewise, don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Don't contend with them when they have done you no harm. So there's, there's a negative, there's a positive aspect of this. A just person gives everyone his due. Um, Your obligations include your obedience to God. That is what is right. And as part of that, there are your duties in life, your obligations uh, that befit your calling as a, as a child, as a father, as a, 
husband or wife, those sorts of callings, and that also includes perhaps work relationships that you have, um, uh, other obligations to neighbor and to your society and to your state, uh, that these are obligations that are part of your calling, your place in life, the place where God has called you, and you ought to fulfill your calling by meeting these obligations, not withholding what is due your employer, for example, by he paying you for your time and then you not doing any work. That's stealing from your employer. That would be an injustice. Um, and so you ought to fulfill these obligations by doing your duty. And you sh- should fulfill your word. You create obligations for yourself when you give your word, when you say, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, when you make an agreement with someone, when you make a contract, when you give a promise, you create an obligation and it would be unjust or unrighteous for you to not fulfill it. Uh, so a just person is honest and faithful, not defrauding anyone by dishonesty. Um, he is steadfast in keeping his promises and agreements, follows through on his commitments, uh, even to his own hurt. Uh, and a righteous person does his duty. And so righteousness and justice refer to fulfilling obligations, to keeping God's commandments. Now when those things are not kept, a debt is created. Uh, Justice calls out for judgment, that justice may be restored. Um, That's part of the idea of righteousness as well, that there's an obligation, and when that obligation is not met, uh, that there is now a debt, there is now a, a punishment that is required or a restitution that needs to be given. Unrighteousness deserves condemnation and punishment. Restitution is required to rectify the injustice. If you steal from another person, you ought to give it back. And even more than that, you, because you've deprived them of that thing unlawfully. Uh, that. Uh, to, to fix what one has done, uh, that you need to, to pay the price, to pay the penalty, to, uh, to give back what has been defrauded. So righteousness refers both to being righteous as well as correctly rectifying unrighteousness. If we call someone a, a just person, that means that he lives justly, he does his duty. And also, if he's a judge, for example, it means that he's going to judge justly and maintain righteousness. Um, The magistrate is equipped with the sword to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. As Romans 13 says, he is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. As 1 Peter 2. As Moses said, he is to judge with righteous judgment. Again, who's righteousness and justice being used here in the same phrase? Judge with righteous judgment, to follow justice alone and to maintain the cause of the righteous. But not only is the magistrate one who should rectify injustice, that is his task, that is why he's been given his power, um, but even you as a private individual, you don't take vengeance, you, you don't execute judgment in that way, but if you've done wrong... You shouldn't wait for someone to tell you to do what's right. You should seek to make it right on your own, to give back what you've stolen, to to make restitution, to go beyond that even, uh, to to heal the breach, to rectify the situation. Also, you can help maintain righteousness 
by protecting others from unrighteousness. If, if someone's about to harm someone else, to step in the way or to give assistance. Uh, if you see someone about to get ripped off, to call attention to the fraud that's being practiced or, or to help them to seek redress from the proper authorities. And so righteousness ought to be maintained, both for you personally, but also uh, around you. Any questions thus far then on, on righteousness and justice? I am using them kind of overlapping terms. Usually justice we think of in terms more of our obligations in society, perhaps, and righteousness more as a personal virtue, but uh, the same principle is, is involved here uh, in application. Um, I want to conclude then with just bringing it to connect with what we talked about previously about piety, our reverence for God and our gratitude to Him that produces devotion. I uh, said earlier, piety can be thought of as part of justice. It is what we owe God. God is supreme. He has all authority and all power. We should revere Him. And He's also given you life and breath and everything, so you ought to be grateful to Him. So you should be devoted to him out of gratitude and reverence. So that that is part of justice toward God. But likewise, piety leads a person to be righteous and just, to obey his commandments, uh, to do what is right. Um, Not only with respect to him, but also to our neighbor. Um, Even to be righteous from, from the heart. And they're also related so that if you don't have piety, you don't have righteousness. If you don't have righteousness, you don't have true piety. Think about it. Without piety, your good deeds are profane. You're in hostility towards God. There might be great right justice or fairness among pirates, right? But they're all treason, uh, treasonous. They're, they're all condemned. They're outlaws because they're in rebellion to the king. Uh, likewise, people might do uh, works that are outwardly are righteous, but without piety, they're still at enmity with God and under his condemnation. Likewise, without justice, piety can be hypocritical. Oh, I love God, the person says, but the brother that he can see standing in front of him, and he despises him and hates him. Oh, is that true religion? Uh, is, is that faith living? Um, without righteousness, uh, that piety is hypocritical. And so these things go uh, together. To, to serve God, to serve our neighbor, to fulfill our obligations to both. So let's uh, give thanks to God for declaring us righteous and and then also let us pursue after righteousness that we might practice it uh, in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your gift in Jesus Christ of justification that we might stand before you uh, without fear of condemnation, that we might even uh, receive your embrace as as your children, and that we might, therefore, as your children, seek to resemble you. For you are righteous and just. You are indeed the very standard. Your character is holy and without stain. And we pray that you would renew that image within us, that we might do what is right, to uh, be just in our relations with others, uh, that we would indeed 
uh, maintain this around us and uh, that we would see the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit be among us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.